Welcome to the Sunday Message from Hollyview Church in Boring, Oregon. We gather every Sunday morning at 10.30 as a worshiping community of Jesus followers on mission to see God glorified in our lives, our cities, and around the world. At Hollyview, the Bible serves as our foundation and guide for both life and ministry. It tells the story of God and the story of us. We believe the better we know the themes and flow of the biblical story, the better we will be able to find our little place in God's grand storyline. Thank you for joining us. And now here's this week's message, Finding What You're Missing. From our series on the Gospel according to John, here's Elder Mike Miller with a message from John chapter 5. Good morning. Good start already. <laughs> uh, I am going to ask you to stand if you're able as we uh, will start with our reading from John 5. I'm going to start in verse 6. When Jesus saw him lying there, he knew he had already been there a long time. And he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. While I'm going down, another steps before me. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and walked. You may be seated. Um, before we get started, let's, let's pray real quick. Lord, I, uh, I thank you that um, when we gather together, you are here with us. Uh, Lord, I pray that um, our hearts would be soft for your message, that uh, my insecurities and my nerves would uh, not block what you are trying to convey to us. Um, thank you for this time. Thank you for this church. Just pray that you be with us. Amen. Uh, before we dig in, uh, I wanted to take a few minutes and tell you a little bit uh, about myself. Um, as Joel said, uh, this is not my favorite position to be in in the church, um, but I do love people. Uh, it's one of my favorite things is to get to know people. So um, I really enjoy getting to know all of you and continuing to get to know all of you. I just prefer it in a smaller group setting. So. <laughs> Um, a little bit about me, I uh, grew up in a family of five. I, there's three kids, a mom and dad. I was the oldest. I have three, uh, two younger sisters. My youngest is Michelle Mansfield, um, in case you guys did not connect those dots yet. Um, I grew up in North Portland uh, until middle school. Um, then middle school, we moved out here to a Southeast Portland area. Got into the Centennial School District. Um, became uh, very heavily involved in band. Uh, band through high school was probably a, uh, I know for a fact it was a gift from God for me. Um, before entering middle school, uh, we, um, my church at the time had a worship leader that was a music teacher and he loved saxophones. And so he invited me to um, join their worship team part and to learn and develop my skills as, as a saxophone player. I learned how much I loved it. I learned how much I loved playing in the worship band. Um, that uh, practicing became uh, a, a common thing for me so I could get better. That love for bands just continued in through high school. I was in every band I could sign up for, marching band, jazz band, pep band, you name it, I was there. Um, uh, my senior year, I think I spent more time in the band than anywhere else, but um, 
it, it was what got me through it. Uh, got through high school, um, definitely left with some scars, definitely left with many regrets. Um, but my love for music was through and through, uh, which was really, really great. Um, I don't remember when I officially became a Christian. I was pretty young. I know that. Uh, I know that I ded rededicated my life three different times. Three different times. Uh, once in middle school, uh, right when I was being baptized. Uh, once again in high school. And then once again when I graduated high school. The last one stuck. So... Uh, in 1998, I met a beautiful young lady named Christine, um, started dating her at that point. Uh, in 2000, we were married. Um, by 2003, we had Ellie, our first, who we just dropped off at Linfield a week or, week or a little more than a week or so ago. And then we had 20, uh, in 2005, we had our son, Blake. Um, when we started our engagement and then marriage, we bounced around from church to church trying to kind of find where God was having us settle in. And um, in 2001, we settled into Abundant Life, which is just a little bit further out. Um, and then by 2005, God had kind of moved us over and we ended up at Cornerstone, which is where we met the Woodards and many others. Um, and it was a blessing. And then 2019, we had the wonderful uh, opportunity to move over here. And uh, I can honestly say every church was just an absolute blessing for our life for that time. Um, and we're thankful that we're here for today. So that's the hierarchy. That's the, the, the over 10,000 feet view of, of my life up till today. So today, um, uh, I still love music. I love playing up here. I love listening to it. Um, I love seeing the younger generations, Caleb dragging those uh, kids up here and getting them playing music. It's just, uh, just is so fun to see. Um, I love hanging out with the middle school and high school kids on Wednesday. Um, I can honestly say I think they're probably more of a blessing to my life than I am to theirs, but I try to bless them as much as I can. Um, I love listening to books. I love watching movies. Um, I really love studying the Bible. It's really, really fun. Um, I love talking and wrestling with hard questions. Um, questions that don't have clear answers, questions that just may never be answered and just may always remain a question. Uh, I think I passed some of this on to my son a little bit as he asked me these questions, which I'm going to let you guys ponder for the rest of the day. He comes to me, this is a month or so ago, and says, hey, Dad, so we live in a three-dimensional world, but we see in two-dimension what would it be like if we lived in a four-dimension world and saw in 3D? Good question. I don't know. <laughs> the one that he asked me a week ago ago, and he goes, Dad, have you ever thought about this? The brain actually named itself. Nope. Never <laughs> thought about that. So, so I passed some of that on to him, which is great. Um, uh, so I'm I'm best I'm blessed beyond words to uh, to get to live life with Christine. Um, we are two very very different people, um, but I'm grateful that I have her in my life, and we are grateful to get to know you better. Um, one of the many many ways that we are different is that uh, I am a very routine person. I just do things the same every single time. Christine is. Not in any way, shape, or form. Uh, I, I put things in the same place. I don't think she ever even thinks about 
that process, um, which is just a strange concept for me. I, I can't imagine that people don't think through that. Uh, so, so for things like my keys, which are important to me, um, there's, there's one spot that they are at if they're not in my pocket. Uh, so when we're trying to find my keys, I know it's either here or the one spot. Uh, when we're trying to find Christine's keys, there's, there's usually three or four spots that need some investigating before we can you know, find the keys, um, which is, is so fun, but uh, <laughs> it, it is, is, uh, it's, it's good for me. It keeps me on my toes. So. But uh, that process, uh, you know, I, I, the process of like my, that thought of missing my keys, uh, I think it comes from a few different things. Uh, first, my dad, who's got a weird obsession with controlling his keys. But the second was my, in high school, I, I lost my keys once. And of course, you lose your keys when you actually need them the most. And so I'm trying to get to work and obviously running late because I'm in high school and don't think these things through. But I, I'm running late trying to find my keys and I'm searching my bedroom. Just cannot find these keys because they're not in the one spot and they're not in my pocket, so they are lost. And search through the house, I eventually find them. Uh, think they're downstairs somewhere. I don't know how they got there, but they got there. Um, eventually got them, got myself to, to work and moved on. But that, that missing key thing, it stuck with me for a long time. Uh, Missing keys is kind of a minor thing in the grand scheme of like life. Um, but I think the feeling of missing something is something that we can all relate to. Um, and I think it often we can feel that we're missing something in some of the bigger situations too. That feeling of missing something is, is something I think we're going to see Jesus touch on in two different stories here in John 5. Um, I think we're going to see that Jesus seeks to fill what we are missing. All right, let's read John 5, 1 through 18, and then we'll start diving in here. Um, after this, well, there was a feast of the Jews, and the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethsaida, which has five roofed colonnades. In these laid a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another, one, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered to them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They, said, they asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, 
and I am working. This is why Jesus, this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So, Jesus arrives to Jerusalem, and he goes and does what most people do when they arrive to Jerusalem, right? I don't know. He goes right to the sick. I think most people, when they get there, they're probably going right to the temple, um, or they're going to go and check on where they're going to have their feast. They're, they got to get things dialed in. This feast is a big deal. They're going to make sure they have everything ready. But Jesus is more concerned about going to the sick. So as he's rolling through and he's strolling through the sick, he comes up to this guy who's been sick a long time. It says he's been sick for 38 years. That is a very long time. So healing this man is not, not a minor thing. Um, he isn't healing a skin disease or something that may have been healing itself. He's, sick, he's healing a very sick man. Uh, we can learn a few things about this man and his interaction with Jesus. So it says he's been sick for 38 years, which in this time of, of our world is pretty notable, because um, he would have been known by most, if not all, of the leaders, um, and, the family, and his family members and people close to him, obviously. Uh, in this community, they, it would have been very important for friends and family to take care of the sick and poor, yet he says he has no one. He also doesn't give Jesus a direct answer when, when, it, it, when he's asked if he wants to be healed, he says to Jesus, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I'm going down, another steps before me. So he doesn't really say yes or no, but rather still gives why he's in his current physical condition. This guy is really at rock bottom. Uh, doesn't seem like he has much hope. He has either pushed his family away or his family is, is just not around. But he has really lost all hope, and he, is, he just feels stuck, I think. Yet Jesus sees right to the core of him, speaks directly to him, and says, get up, take up your bed, and walk. And then says, at once the man is healed, and he took up his bed and walked. 38 years he's been stuck, and within a few words spoken, He's, his life is completely changed. We will see in a bit that we'll find him in the temple, and he and Jesus have another quick conversation, which I think is extremely important. Uh, but before we move on, I want to look back at what Jesus says here. So Jesus tells him, get up, take up your bed, and walk. So get up and walk, that makes sense. Like, he's been sick, get up and walk. But why, why does he need... I mean, yeah, that's right. He, he also says that, you know, the passage infers that there, you know, there's, he's had some problems getting down to the pool. So getting up and walk is a, a clear indication that there's something probably going on with his legs. But he, he asks him to take, his, take up his bed and move. Oops, sorry, guys. I'm ad-libbing, and I've lost my spot. <laughs> this is why I don't ad-lib. <laughs> Okay, so yes, so why do you think he needs to take up his bed? So I think there's, Jesus had two reasons um, for this. Um, I think the first is to continue a conversation with the Jewish leaders. I think he has a heart for these Jewish, the Jewish leaders that he's going to eventually talk with. Um, the second is directly towards the man. 
I think he's telling the man that his time here is done, that he needs to move on, um, that he's not coming back to these pools. You're healed. Don't go back to where you've been for 38 years. Uh, seems like it seems like Jesus knew he, the, the invalid man, and myself for that matter, like to go to what's comfortable, even if it's a bad situation. Okay, so I'm going to skip around a little bit here. Uh, so Jesus meets up with him again in the temple. And for what you, know, you would see would be a quick pep talk, right? So the guy's been healed. He's moved out. He's ready. He's moving forward. But Jesus says something really interesting here. He says, see, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. So this guy's been an invalid for 38 years, and sinning can cause something worse. I think Jesus is touching on that. Sin can cause that separation from God. And Jesus is telling us God, his physical healing is great. It's wonderful. But it's not as important as being made whole with God. I think the invalid man had given up on finding what he was missing. Then Jesus comes by, reminds him that there is a reason for hope, and tells him that he, Jesus, is what he was missing. Okay, let's move on to the second story. So all this happened on the Sabbath, of course, so the Jewish leaders are not happy because um, work is happening. So now before we dive into this section, I have to say, I think we sometimes give the Jewish leaders a, a bad rap. Uh, these guys have just come out of uh, 400 years of silence, which means they have had no prophets speaking God's word to their community. Um, they are holding on to this law and trying to do their best to stay connected to God. Um, now, were mistakes made? Well, of course. I mean, anytime humans are involved, mistakes are made. Um, but I think they were really trying, and I can relate to that from time to time. Uh, with that said, though, uh, they're missing Jesus standing in front of them and his message that he wants them to hear. So the Jewish leaders get upset because the guy's carrying his mat. So for many years, the leaders have been trying to figure out this commandment of not to work on the Sabbath. And so, I mean, like, what classifies as work? Can I do this or can I do that? At some point during this time period, carrying your bed mat was not acceptable. That was classified as work. Um, and that has worked. And so that's, that's where they are at. Um, okay, so let's read this section here. So we're at verse 9, just a little bit before verse 10 here. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. It is not lawful for you to take your bed, take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take your bed and walk. They asked, Who is this man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? It's interesting, just so interesting, just that conversation there. So the Jewish leaders see this man who's been invalid for 38 years. The first thing they think and say to the man is, why are you breaking the law? The guy is literally walking in front of them after 38 years, and the first thing they think about is the law. They have put all their hope in this law because that's all they have. They are holding on to it for dear life. Um, and it's what God gave them for them to follow. They are trying to make themselves whole by following this law and trying to become close to God. 
Then Jesus does his Jesus thing and drops the bomb on him. And so in verse 17, he goes on and just pushes it and says, my father, work, my father is working until now, and I am working. So now they really recognize um, Jesus is calling himself the Son of God and making himself equal to God. So this is a way bigger issue than some guy carrying this mat. Um, Jesus shifts the quote-unquote law-breaking away from something that's possibly trivial to the question of who Jesus is. Is he the Son of God? Now, they are now trying to kill Jesus because this is blasphemy in their eyes. Um, now, John puts a large section of Jesus speaking directly to the Jewish leaders, which I, I don't have nearly enough time to unpack. Um, there is so much there that uh, people far more talented and far smarter than me uh, have broken the, that section up into just two sermons alone. Um, so I'm going to try to summarize it. This is really my, my summarizing. So really, I, I say dig into it. Um, Jesus speaks to the leaders using what they know, which is the law. Uh, he points out that he points them to what John the Baptist says who Jesus is. He goes back to Moses' writing and says, what is Moses writing to and about? And then there's some other really key points in there. But really, the, the one thing that I think Jesus is really trying to show them is that he is what the law is pointing to, but they can't see it. I think the Jewish leaders are so desperately seeking what was missing that the seeking itself has become more important than what they're looking for. Jesus is looking at them and speaking to them saying, it's me, I'm here, I'm what you've been looking for. All these laws you hold so closely point to me. You'll never be whole, without with just these laws which brings us to the big questions we're all missing something um, maybe there's an area in our life that we just haven't fully given over to christ and you can feel that there's a void or there's something missing there um, maybe we're trying to uh, get everything in order get it perfect before we come to christ um, but you can still feel that there's always something missing there uh, maybe you're still carrying hurt, insecurities, shame. Uh, maybe you think the void is just too big. Um, I can tell you for sure, Jesus seeks to fill that void, and it doesn't matter the size. And he's the only one that can. We see it in the first story. Jesus heals him physically, but comes right back to the man to check on him spiritually. Don't sin. I think we see it in his talking to the leaders. He can see that they're trying so hard to follow the law, but they're missing the point, and he desires them to see him. So Jesus is the only way to be made whole. So if you don't know Jesus today, uh, don't leave today without asking questions. Uh, Joel would love to talk to you. I'd love to talk to you. There's many people around you I'm sure would love to talk to you. Um, but I said at the beginning, I love questions, so come ask. Um, I'm going to pray, and then we'll let the worship team take back over. Lord, I uh, thank you for your word. Thank you for the book of John. Thank you for um, all you show us as to who you are. Lord, I just pray that you would turn, um, that you would just keep, keep seeking us and keep showing us your words, Lord. 
We are so grateful for all you do for us and just bless our time in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this message from Hollyview Church. We invite you to join us in person for our worship service every Sunday morning at 1030. You can find us on Southeast 257th Avenue, just off of Highway 212 between Boring and Damascus, Oregon. Or find us online at hollyviewchurch.com. Together, we are being shaped by the gospel, rooted in God's word, to share God's grace and truth. Again, whether online or in person, thank you for joining us here at Hollyview Church. Church.